Okay, so yeah. No, no, yeah. Okay. We're going to go ahead and begin tonight. Uh, if you would, take your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12, and we'll be looking there in just a moment. Again, Revelation chapter 12. I was going to stand down there, but the clicker doesn't have the piece to, to turn it, so I have no way to, to change the slides. But uh, here in just a moment, we'll be looking at this text, and tonight uh, we're going to continue talking about Satan. I know we've been looking at him the past, what, three weeks, tonight being, I believe, the fourth week, and really just to see uh, not just the, the things that he brings to us, but ways to defeat him. And I know there's a sense that we would say, well, isn't he defeated already? And in a sense, he is, but we often look at the influence that he has brought in this world and so many who follow him, and we need to know how to fight those battles. Now, tonight we're going to be talking about the devices of Satan. And uh, looking at that, I'll read from the text here in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to look at just a few different ways that we see certain devices that sometimes we fall to. And uh, one in specific we'll be looking at for the most part tonight, that being deception, because that's the main text that we have uh, at least presented to us in the outlines. But uh, we'll be looking at that later. And some of these devices, we would say, well, some are brought to us by him. Some are things that maybe we have presented at times, or maybe the world presents to us, but they're dangers that we fall into. And so uh, we might think first, and I kind of kept all the devices with the letter D. I wanted to, to do that with just a way to remember this better. But the device of diversion or distraction. And you don't have to think long to consider that we have diversions, we have distractions, things that they're not necessarily sinful within themselves. I mean, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are parents? You think, well, there, there's a lot of distractions there. There's a lot of diversions, things that take away your time all the day in, day outs that we have. We have many different things that they're not sinful necessarily, but we find ourselves where, well, God's not in those things if we're not careful. He's not in the midst of those things. Or beyond that, we let ourselves get so distracted and so busy, we get to the end of the day, I never even talked to God. I never looked at His Word. I never thought about God. Ever found yourself at the end of the day and, and God was not present uh, within your, your day-to-day, -day, within your life. So we need to be careful. We need to put God within all the things that we do uh, in one way or another. But also, we find ourselves sometimes desensitized. Remember how uh, Jeremiah on multiple occasions, he talks about a people who did not know how to blush. We tend to think, well, that's, that's the world, right? That's just people of the world. That's their problem. That's not our problem. But he finds himself with the frustration of God's own people. At times, God's own people don't know how to blush. And, and I'm going to ask at times tonight, don't think just because I'm up here that you can't answer things or that we can't talk back and forth. But I want you to consider ways that we become desensitized 
in this culture. And I'll mention maybe one here, and then I'll ask for, uh, for your guys' input on this. But I tend to think as a child, what you see as a child, you grow up, you see things that are normalized. If sin is normalized in the home and it's seen as something that is okay, well, what do you tend to think? Well, well that's just the way things are, right? So it, it's fine if people go, they, they get drunk. It's fine, right? Whatever the, the sin may be, but we tend to see these things as normalized. Think about sexuality in our culture. It is heavily prevalent, and it's being taught even among the littlest of the little today. So they're going to see this as the norm. Well, what are some other ways that we are desensitized uh, to sin today? What are some ways you guys think of? Yes, you see enough of those images before you know it. Oh, okay, that, that's pretty normal, right? So it, it just, it starts to get in the brain. Children, if they're left to watch those devices enough time, it seems pretty normal. Uh, yes, did you have something back there? Well, the sense of propriety that they had in the generation back in the 50s had disappeared. And what is pride? That's propriety. And yeah. it's just in everything. What is proper behavior toward people in general, women, your children, society, uh, merchants, waiters? You know, it just seems like you see so many people that just don't understand what proper behavior is. Yeah. And that makes you think, well, everybody does it. Right. Good point. Yeah, and you mentioned back, what, the 50s, you said, and it's just, I even think back, obviously I'm not... And we didn't live then. <laughs> but think back to the, the TV shows from then. Look at the amount of things like cussing from back then versus now, or the amount of things related to sexuality then versus now. A TV show where a married couple is portrayed as in, in separate beds. They're not married in real life, but they're in separate beds. Well, now there's nothing left to the imagination. You know, everything is off. Everyone's, you guys understand that. Uh, we don't have to delve into that, but it's just over time it progresses. Every generation seems to be getting worse and worse, and then it's just normalized. Okay, uh, another thing we'll talk about, and again, most of these, I'm going to be very brief. When we talk about deception, we're going to be very in-depth, so just keep that in mind. But denial, uh, the, the aspect of denial and we think back to Peter and his issue with denying Jesus. And this is one of those that later on in the lesson I'm going to talk about a little more. Why is it that he fought for Jesus over here, but he denied Jesus not much beyond that? It just kind of seems baffling to us. I think there's a good reason, okay? And not that it was good that he did it, but I think there was a very uh, present reason as to why he did it. And of course, when he denied Jesus... What was Peter's claim? What did he say that he would never do? And what did he say that he would do? Do you remember? I'll never deny you. I will. Yeah, I believe he meant it. I absolutely believe he meant that. I believe he had confidence that was probably too much confidence, okay? Overconfident within that. And so you see him at a time where he denies Jesus three times, and it's just a great time of sorrow to see what he's done against Christ. We have uh, also the aspect of distancing, okay? This is a danger, distancing ourselves, whether it's from God or we distance ourselves from brethren. The, the greatest relationship that you have is between yourself and God. That's the, that should be the number one relationship that we have. And yet, how do we find ourselves where we distance ourselves from God? 
How do we do that? What are ways we do that? Silence. What's that? Silence. Silence. Can you elaborate a little? Yeah. You know, yeah. the same with anybody. Right. You know, if you want to not talk to your relatives anymore, that's distance. And yeah. Not talking to God is the same thing. Right. Yeah, and you could imagine all of you, whether whether you're married or not, just any relationship you have. You know, imagine going through the, the home life. You never talk to your children. They never talk to you. You never talk to your spouse and, and vice versa. That's an odd relationship because it's not a relationship. There's no communication whatsoever. Well, we think that's really strange with us as humans if we're together that we would never talk to each other. But, well, do we not sometimes do that to God? And he's the entire time. We can't fault God. We can never fault him. This has been here the whole time. This has been here the entire time we have this uh, to go back and to listen to our Father. So the danger of distancing there, there's also the danger of distancing ourselves from each other. How many verses do you see? And I don't know the number, but how many verses do you see in the scriptures of one another or encouraging one another or just the edification that we give to each other? There's so much emphasis in each New Testament letter on togetherness. And, and bringing ourselves with each other and, and just encouraging and fulfilling those roles. Of course, another that we might keep in mind is the mindset of, of being discouraged. Okay, yes, go ahead. You know, you don't think much about distancing from your neighbors. Yeah. But as a Christian, we have a tendency to distance ourselves. How many people know who lives on the left behind them, on, you know, on each side, in front of everybody on their street? It's not like it used to be. Everybody was on the porch. You knew everybody. And on Sunday morning, you knew who left for church and who didn't. Yeah. And, and now they may know that you leave for church, but they don't have any idea where you go. Right. Good points. Uh, any other points there before we go on to uh, discouragement? But uh, look to here, just with the attitude of dis- being discouraged, I think if I were to ask you how many of you have ever been discouraged, we would all just <laughs> raise our hands. I mean, we all have been there. Uh, some translations will say to, to not let us grow weary in doing good. Some will say to not let us grow discouraged in doing good. And part of what we see, I'm, I'm sure they saw it, we see it. You go through the day-to-day how many times do you see what looks like the wicked prospering? And we're thinking, well, that, that doesn't seem fair. They look like they're seceding. Everything seems to be good for them. So why can't I just do what they're doing? Is it really worth it? Okay, it, it absolutely is worth it. I will tell you that. But sometimes we find ourselves growing weary. And that's where I, I have to tell you, and I'll tell you again as we go throughout this lesson, spend time encouraging other Christians whether they're growing weary or not. Make that a priority. Encourage other Christians because you never know what the next guy over here, the next girl over here is facing as a struggle. Or the fact that the words that you say may be the difference between I give up, I quit, okay? Or, okay, I'm going to keep pressing forward. We need to be there for each other. Encourage each other through these things. I'm going to skip deception for just a second. And just to, to go to this last one here, of being done. 
this is what I often think of with Judas Iscariot. And we think back to the text where Judas, we know his struggle with the love of money, but you get to this point where you see Judas, where it says Satan entered him. And then Jesus is telling him to, to do what you must do, do what you have to do. And he goes with the mission of betrayal. And I've sometimes wondered, was that Judas finally saying, you know what, Satan, I just, I've, I've had enough. I can't do it anymore. You win. You take over my life. And then Judas goes, of course, you remember uh, as he's betrayed Jesus, it almost seems he didn't realize Jesus was going to die. When he sees what's going to happen, you see the sorrow. You see him throw back the money. He goes, and in that worldly sorrow, he takes himself and he hangs himself. He takes his own life. It's someone who did give up. It's someone who was done, and they quit in every aspect of the word. And so again, that's where we need to be here to encourage each other. But uh, I'm not going to delve into that one so much more tonight. I want to go now and talk for a long time about deception. And I want you to look at this with me. We're going to go, I'll have it on the screen here, but Revelation chapter 12. And this is a, a very interesting text. He says in verse 9, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. Okay, so you notice the picture here. We're not going to delve into the context so much tonight and all of this. But let's kind of give it a, an image for just a moment. Well, well, who is he? Who's this enemy that we're looking at tonight? And one of the things that strikes me first here is he's referred to as the serpent of old. Well, you guys probably go right back to the same place I go to in our minds. I remember a picture where we see him as the serpent, right? Where, uh, what was the, the scene going on back there? Do you remember? What was the scene? Yeah. So Eve in the garden, and this is going to be a big time of deception. If I've ever seen deception, it starts right from the beginning. The moment we see him, that's the mission at hand. Can I deceive you? Okay, let's see how I can do it. But we see him called Satan as the, the serpent of old. Well, when you think of a serpent, most of us don't like snakes. I think you're weird if you like snakes. Okay, but most of us don't like snakes. We think of them as these crafty, just nasty little beings that want to bite you. At least that's what I think of. But we don't always think of them as good. And I would rather them just be crushed <laughs> in every sense of the word. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a reason why when we think back to Ephesians 6, we talk about whether, depending on the translation, but the wiles of the devil or the schemes of the devil. 
and just the way he looks at us and he comes at us. And it's just, it's not, I don't want to go too much ahead of myself here, but it's not that when we look at the devil, it's not always so obvious. It really isn't. It's not always so obvious. I'm going to hold off on a certain thought there till a couple of slides from here. But when we look at him, the devil, okay, and I'm not going to go delving into the, the Greek, this and that so much, but the idea is he's a slanderer. He's a false accuser. When you see the word Satan that is used, the idea of being an adversary, okay? Well, what, what did Peter say in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8? What does the adversary seek to do? Yeah, to devour. So it's like a lion and it's prey, okay? I don't typically look at a lion and then think of maybe a lamb and think, you know, they're, gonna, they're just going to enjoy time together and, and cuddle and, and go, eat a, go eat from the trees. Okay, no, he's looking at that. I'm going to find you when you're weak, and I'm going to destroy you. I will absolutely destroy you. That's the, intent, that's the purpose that he has, destruction. So the goal, when we look at this, it talks about him deceiving someone. And I want you to pay very close attention to this because... Did the text say he came to deceive just a select few? Or who does he deceive in this text? Who does he deceive? That should scare us. <laughs> in a sense, that should scare us. If we're going to stay away from God, that should scare us. Okay? But the deception, he's known as the one who deceives the whole world. At times he's seen in scriptures, and Paul writes about him in 2 Corinthians, he calls him the God of this world. He's blinded the minds of the unbelieving, if you would. But the idea of this deception is that he would lead you astray. So don't look at it like, okay, he's, he's here for my benefit. He's here for my good. It looks appealing. Maybe he's actually got good intentions. That's not the point that he has. So Let's think back to that image when we have him as the serpent of old. When we have him maybe from his goal from the start. Jesus, he, he knows too well about this. Remember Jesus calling him the, the father of lies and talking about the Jews being of their father and just that, that deception and the murder that was there. Okay, well, we think back to the garden and really I want you to kind of picture Genesis 2, Genesis 3 where you have Adam in Genesis 2, it's clear he knows the command of God, okay? When we get to Genesis 3, it's evident that Eve knows the command given by God. What was the command that was given? What was the command given there? Yeah, and what would be the result if you do this? Exactly. So we have the instruction. Eve knows the instruction. That's very apparent. And then Satan comes with the intent of taking things and twisting them just a little bit. Can I ask the question, how did Satan deceive here? How did he take God's word and, and twist it? What's that? Exactly. So let me just add a word in here and change the meaning of what God said. So he takes this to a, a very hefty level of deception. Because the deception becomes about, well, well, God knows in the day you eat from it, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So let me elevate this to a level of pride like no other. You're going to be like God. That's what he's concerned about right now. What does pride do to man? 
People get kind of giddy about that in our society. I think in their time, they got kind of giddy about it. Oh, I, I, can, I can be that high up on the pedestal. I can be like God. That, that's his real concern. Okay? So elevating this to the level of pride. And it's interesting because when you read back in the text and you see the way she's almost just looking at it and meditating on it, I always think back to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. It talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. All of those things were exemplified in that text. And almost every single sin or every single temptation you will find somehow is going to fit in one of those three categories. I don't know how else to put it. You're going to find it in one of those three categories. And this is a text, again, that shows the same thing we mentioned earlier from 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. The intent is destruction. So in the day you eat from it, you will surely die. That's what God has said. In the day they ate from it, death has come into the world. Death is here. That's the problem. That's what we need to consider. He was not here for her good. He was not here because God was just concerned about something bigger. God wants the relationship with us. Satan wants to just destroy it. He wants it out of the way. So let's look at something here. I want you to consider maybe from talks that you've had with people who are not Christians, maybe just things that you've heard over the years, ways of deception. Maybe when we look at the world, how they perceive Satan. Because I can tell you from conversations that I've had with people, it's not what the Bible portrays. Oftentimes when you talk to someone who is atheistic and they hear the idea of Satan, well, well if Satan's real, if hell is real, it's going to be one everlasting party. We're just going to, we'll continue to drink and do the drugs and we'll have sex and we'll do all these things that we've done throughout all our lives and that's what hell is going to be like, one everlasting party. If that's the belief system you have, you've been deceived. He's got you. That's the reality. But people look at Satan as, well, maybe it's like the cartoon characters. He's got the tail, the pitchfork, you know, the horns on the head, and it's just, it's just nice. Okay, we'll see. We'll think about this deception a little more in just a second. But how does the world perceive what the Scripture calls sin? What have you heard before? How, how does the world perceive the things the Scripture calls sin? Freedom. What's that? Freedom. Freedom, yeah. So you mean to tell me if you follow this, it sounds like prison. You're going to be in prison with this. How can you live the rest of your life bound by this book? And I want to say something about that because you're right. The world looks at it as freedom and it's just to, to follow this is terrible is what the world will say. You know how much more peace I get when I follow this and I don't go the ways of the world? Look at the Proverbs sometimes and see all the things they're trying to get their son to see. You go down that path, it's death. It'll kill you. It absolutely will. Be very careful about the influences that you have, the people you spend your time with, because they're not all here for your good. Some are going for blood, and they're going to bring you down to Sheol too, okay? Think back to the Proverbs. You will find yourself, and some people will say, your life is boring, okay? It just seems so boring. You don't do all those things. My life is at peace. 
I don't have to worry about so much that I would have to worry about if I did the things of the world. Because how much trouble do you see? Well, well, how many people in Nashville do you see on a regular basis on the news? So-and-so was shot outside of a bar last night. So-and-so was stabbed over there. And over and over and over and over. Well, okay, because when you go and you spend your time with those crowds, those things are often connected to it. That's the reality. God, not just for a spiritual means, but so often for a physical means, doing what He said helps our safety. It absolutely does. But again, as you said, the world, they believe it's freedom. Yes. You know, it's never been so dangerous. We see kids in, in middle school and high school they get asked for one pill and they think you can do one uh, pill that is supposed to be a regulated drug, like yeah. a pain pill. It has fentanyl in it. They're dead. Yeah. It's just, sin has never been so dangerous. We, we think nothing of it in society, but it, it is, it's more than a, it's more, it's a sudden kill. Yeah. And what you said too, I, I have a lot of friends who are police officers all throughout Tennessee. And that's just, that's one of the issues that they deal with on a regular basis. And they warn so much about fentanyl and just the dangers of that. And it's just, to some it seems like what they're doing is innocent and then like that, lights out. So, yes. I think the rule also precedes what we think or what the scriptures define as sin is a relative term. My, my sense of what's right and wrong is different from what your sense of right and wrong might be. So you may call that a sin, but from my view, maybe that's not. So the rule has its own... Standard, right? It's its own right. metric, yeah. Uh, rather than using the Bible's. Yeah, and then it becomes this. Well, there's no absolute truth. You know, it's that. That's a prevalent idea. It's, it's very much taught. And well, if there's no right or wrong, then I can do what I want. But that's a whole other conversation there. And uh, of course, this is what I want to hold to as truth. Uh, absolutely. But uh, I want to mention something here, just kind of going down this list. Because we, we see how the world perceives it, but then we also have to think there is, in a sense, an appeal of, of sin. No doubt, there is, in a sense, an appeal of sin. It's the pleasure that is there, okay? And we often tend to think about, well, there's pleasure associated with it. If there was no pleasure, I don't think many people would do it, okay? But... This is where we sometimes think about that aspect. Okay, well, is the grass greener on the other side? If you go to my house and you look at my next door neighbor, his grass is green all the time. Even in the winter, it will be green. He has all the stuff he does to it, okay? But we sometimes think about this with sin. Well, what about a situation? Maybe you see someone who they're going through difficulties in their life. Maybe they find themselves with difficulties in their marriage and they're thinking, well, well, that person over there, they treated me with respect and they were kind to me. And so then they go over there thinking that's going to be a better relationship. Well, what happens when you do that? You're about to destroy your family. Okay, you're about to destroy it all. You're potentially about to destroy your soul. So let me ask the question. You don't have to answer this, but is it really worth it? Is the grass really greener on the other side? So when we consider the deception of sin, that's where I always think back to this text with Moses. Because if anybody knew what it was like to, to live around sin, to live around what the Egyptians do, it's Moses. In his life, he was raised up in this. And so let me ask this question. 
What did Moses do? Yeah. So I'm going to be treated poorly, but I realize the greater thing here. It's fleeting. It's passing. So it may feel good in the moment, but you're going to be hurt after the fact. And we all understand that. There's problems that come with this. Uh, If I feel the hurt, the guilt, the sorrow, whatever that we feel in those moments, but I don't repent, you know what happens the next time? Okay, I may feel a little the next time, but the more I do it and the more I refuse to repent, that heart turns like stone. You get to the point, you don't care. You don't care what you do. The things, and again, if we think back to earlier, some of the other devices being desensitized, that's a way to do it. So just don't repent. Let your heart be hardened. Then you will be desensitized to sin. You won't blush. You won't care. Okay? So we need to turn to God in those moments, of course. But think here even as well, how Satan sought to deceive Jesus. This one is just amazing to me. I don't think he realizes who Jesus really is sometimes. Because we think back to Matthew 4 or Luke chapter 4, either one, and he's coming to to tempt Jesus there. And I want you to consider a question. Before I mention anything about the actual text, let me ask another question. For Jesus to become king, above heaven and earth, to have all authority, to have all the things that would be granted to him. What had to happen to Jesus? This is extremely important. What did he have to do? What's that? He had to suffer. Yeah. So here's the most agonizing death. And so you look at the death he faced, Of course, we talk about the burial, the resurrection, and now we're moving on to the the picture of the king. He ascends to heaven. You guys know this. But let's think back to the temptations for just a moment. Because in Matthew chapter 4, here's all the kingdoms of this world and their glory. You can have it. You can have it all. What's the one stipulation he gives Christ? Yeah. Do we ever think about the consequences if he bowed down and worshiped him? He's not really going to be the king. This is deception. In a sense, you might have some kingship. It's not the kind that is needed. If Jesus fails once, he's guilty. If he fails once, we're all guilty. You see how deception works? Okay? That one sense of deception in that one moment could have altered everything for the world. But Jesus, he knows better than this. And he's stronger than Satan. Okay, we know what he did in that moment. But it's almost to say, Jesus, you can have the crown without the cross. Well, let's look at, and I'm going to do kind of a contrast here in just a second. But let's look at the world. And then let's look at the scriptures. I, I like to draw contrast like this at times where we can see, well, well, this is what the world is going to teach you. Now, be very careful because scriptures are going to teach something totally different than this. So be careful. Don't be deceived by these things because our society is very much, I'm convinced, what Paul's warned about. Those who would be lovers of self or lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God and things like that. And so to be a lover of self, how much of this society has become about me? Not even just with this self-care, this and that. It's on steroids. It's all about you. 
And that's all that matters. Burger King, I think, to some degree still has that have it your way motto. It's still there, okay? And it seems like every year that passes by, we become a more self-centered society. And it's ingrained within children. It just grows and grows. The concept to do what makes you happy. And this is something I've said before even here. That sometimes people do what makes them happy and it leads them into adulterous marriages. It leads them into murder. It leads them into stealing things. And that's just, that's what made me happy, right? Probably not for long. They might have felt a sense of happiness in that deception. But we're often taught to do what makes us happy rather than to do what makes us holy. Okay, we'll talk more about that in a moment. We have this concept today as well that your blood family, top priority above everything else. Fight tooth and nail, no matter right, wrong, whatever it is, blood family up here above everything. And the reality, when we put it in this perspective, I'm going to show you in just a moment, Jesus did not always put it in this perspective. And some of the statements that he gives tend to just baffle us. But society has taught us that family is above all, even God, okay? Uh, the idea that we don't sacrifice ourselves for others, again, the me mentality. I'm not going to talk too much about that as the, at this second, but again, it's all about self. Uh, that there's also many ways to heaven. How often have you heard that? You do any, just, any bit of evangelism of any sorts. You talk to someone else, and before you know it, I, I, know, I know what that says. I read the text with you. I, I know. But personally, I believe we all have our own path. And I just want people to be happy. I want people to feel at ease. And, and we can all get along, right? Okay. Statements that are pretty uh, common today. And then some will say, well, revenge is yours. Look at what they did to you. You have the right to go and do that. That's what they're going to tell you. You have the right to enact revenge. You need to make sure that they never do that to you again. And that's, that's totally fine. Okay? Hold on to these statements. Okay? This is not what the Bible teaches. Just keep that in mind. And then some will say, just live however you want. Those things that the Bible calls sin, who cares, right? Just live however you want. Do what pleases you. Or even more, live for the love of all the people. Okay? I want to be loved by people. But I have a realization that that's not always going to happen. It's just not. Okay? But let's look at the contrast here and let's talk about what the Bible says in this regard. Because these statements, whether by Jesus himself or Jesus through his apostles, they're statements that tend to make us think that there, there's no way he could actually say that, right? Jesus said this. So when we talk about the mentality that our society has about self, Jesus comes along and he talks about those who wish to come after him. You first need to deny yourself. So I've got to deny these selfish passions and desires and things that I normally would have chosen. I have to deny that. Question, is that always easy? I'm going to say no. With the pressure that is around you sometimes, with your peers, your friends, your family, whoever, that's not always an easy thing to deny yourself. Okay, we'll see something else from that text in just a moment. But also this idea in Scripture, we find that we are to be holy. That is such a prevalent just 
concept in scriptures. I've often thought when looking at books like 1 Peter and Leviticus, both books mirror each other so much. Because both books are about holiness, being set apart from God, whether for a service, from sin, from this world, whatever it is, we're set apart in every way as someone who follows God. That's an idea through the Bible. God is holy, we're to be holy. But do you remember what Peter talks about? We're to be holy in what? Just Sunday and Wednesday when we come here? Or to be holy when? All of our behavior. And the model is we're to be holy because God is holy. If I say that I am a follower of Christ, I've got to look like Him. I'm not going to be perfect, but I need to imitate Him. I need to live a life of holiness and service to Him. Okay? Uh, Beyond that, remember the, the statement I mentioned earlier on, society teaches that blood is number one. Well, when we look at the scriptures, we start to find things that tend to make us baffled because in Matthew chapter 10, I'll just reference this, we come to find the one we think of as the Prince of Peace. And in the context, he says, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. Now you have to remember, Matthew chapter 10 is this commission going throughout Israel and and the apostles are going to be preaching the gospel of the kingdom and performing miracles and it's not always going to be so great for you. That's the reality. It's not always going to be so great for you. But there's also things you have to realize, things that are priority and things that are not. And this is where we find the the Prince of Peace says, I'm not bringing peace, I'm bringing the sword. It's going to strike right down in the family. And you're going to find in the same household, you've got family members who are with enmity with each other. That's a powerful picture. Because the question is, well, okay, what if hard times come and I realize if I choose God, I may lose my life. If I choose God, I may be stripped away from my family. Something terrible could happen. If I choose my family, at least I could keep them, right? Who do you love more? Where Jesus says, if you love them more, you are not worthy of me. That's hard. That is very hard. He becomes priority above all. The concept also in the Bible that we are to love our neighbor. Again, remove this, we don't serve others mentality that society teaches you. That is just a blatant lie. The Bible is about God and others on just heavily. Where we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Or when we get to Philippians chapter 2, I love this because it shows the aspect of humility. And humility is where it's not just about my own personal interest, it's also the interest of others. And I regard them as more important than myself. And he goes on, the book in chapter 2 of that book, he gives three examples. The example of Jesus being the greatest, he gives the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Three individuals who their humility was just very heavy, very present in their lives. And of course, you know, Jesus' humility went all the way to the cross. Every step of the way, he was serving others. We also are called in scriptures to take up our cross daily. So don't, don't let the world tell you that, well, we, we can do whatever we want, okay? When you take up your cross, we're talking about, I put something to death here. 
How often do we think back to Colossians 3 and verse 5 and on, and he talks about you mortify, as some translations say, but you, you put to death the members of your earthly body. He talks about all these sinful things that we used to practice. You kill it. We're killing the old man, the old self. We're putting on a new self, as he would talk about later in Colossians chapter 3. And then there's another realization here that I want to mention. It's that you're going to be hated. I'm not saying by all, by every single person on the planet. But when he talked to his apostles, he told them, you're going to be hated. There's times over and over again in scriptures where Jesus is telling his followers, there's going to be people who hate you. There's going to be people who kill you. John chapter 16, when he's going through what we've often called the discourse of the Holy Spirit, he talks about a time that would come to his apostles in which those who kill you think they're doing a service to God. Could you imagine that? How many Jews sought to put the apostles to death or even some of the Romans? Are they doing a service to God, for God? But that's the realization. Sometimes we will be hated, okay? We need to remember who it is we're ultimately trying to please. I want you to notice this. This is from Ephesians, okay? Uh, Ephesians chapter 5. And I want you to see how deception can work so heavily as in their time, as in our time. And kind of put yourself in the picture here. How many minutes do we have left there? You say two? Okay, we'll be quick here. Okay. I didn't keep up with the clock very well. But notice this text here. We'll, we'll finish out with this in the next slide. He says, But sexual immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be mentioned among you, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness or foolish talk or vulgar joking, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no sexually immoral or impure or greedy person, which amounts to an idolater, as an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. See that no one deceives you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. These things being those sinful things that he just talked about. And all these texts, and if you want this outline, just tell me. I will email it to you. But all of these things in these texts, these are worldly things. You, you do these things, heaven's not your home. That's the realization. If you practice this, this is your way of life. Heaven's not your home. So see to it that no one deceives you with empty words. Okay, in light of this, you know the fate. And this is where sometimes, whether we talk ourselves into it or, or we let the world talk ourselves into it, getting away from what is right and doing the things that is wrong, thinking, well, you know, if I stand against sin... Look at the, the persecution that's going to come. Look how they're going to treat me. In fact, I actually want to jump ahead to this one real quick because this is very relevant in our society. Well, well you know, I, I had a family member who didn't obey the gospel. And, and I can say that for myself. I have family members who passed away. They didn't obey the gospel. Does that mean that I shouldn't obey the gospel? Does that mean I shouldn't live my life for Christ? I don't think they would think that. If we went back to Luke 16, rich man and Lazarus, okay? But sometimes we use these types of things as justification for, oh, okay, but you know, if you love me, you wouldn't care if I did these things. And it's someone who's just living their entire life in sin away from God. No, if you love them, you will care and you will show them his care. We need to do that, okay? 
Last thing, I, I wish, I wish, I wish I had time. But I'll go to the end of this here and just close out the class with that. This is the reality. I am so convinced if we want to justify living in sin, we're going to. It's not going to matter how much of this I read. It's not going to matter how much somebody points me to the truth. If I want to justify the things that I do, I absolutely will. I need to love God and I need to hate sin. I wish I could continue on. I had a lot more. (laughs) I did not anticipate that it would go this quickly. But thank you guys. Thank you for your participation. Thank you for the class.